0: Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of The London Circle where today we'll be talking about Syria. Amid what's happening in Gaza, everyone seems to have forgotten that Syria is still subject to a brutal regime that is subjecting the Syrian people to the most horrific of attacks and crimes. Today I'll be talking with Ibrahim Al-Ulabi to see exactly where the legal process against the regime is heading. Ibrahim Al-Ulabi is a Syrian British barrister who's working on international justice. Enjoy. The case for Syria now has been ongoing for what? It's been since 2011. So we're talking about 12, 13 years now.
1: Yes, the, the recent case, because obviously the, the whole authoritarianism in Syria started a long time ago, but yes, since the uprising began, it's since 2011. We're
0: talking about since 2011. This, as you put it, this is phase two. In a way, yeah. If were to assume that everything before was just one single phase. Exactly. And you have been hard at work pursuing the, le- the legal case. And during that time, we've heard so many things about the regime being presented to the ICC, about certain evidence being presented to. And, you know, when you hear these things, you can't help but um, hope. For justice to come to the millions of victims in Syria, I mean, we're talking about what fifty percent, sixty percent of the of the Syrian population. We're talking nigh on fifteen million between those killed, those wounded, some for life, and those displaced, whether internally or or you know, as migrants. You know, the whole wave of of migrants and the issue of refugees being addressed by the West entirely comes, with all due respect, from Syria. Absolutely. So. What am I justified in casting doubt over whatever legal attempts, whatever channels that you're pursuing, for instance, Ibrahim, that you're pursuing in order to bring the criminals to account in Syria?
1: I think you're absolutely justified. Uh, And so am I, before I have my coffee in the morning. Um, I I often feel like, is there a point? Uh, Is there a point from all of this? But then after I have my coffee, and I reflect a little bit, I get reassured by a number of factors but let's before i go into these factors let's first set the scene a little bit i don't think you know justice is something that is achievable generally like if your god forbid son got hit by a car accident by a drunk driver what is justice you know even in the most stable democratic with all the kind of separation of powers informed judiciary people feel miscar or get miscarriages of justice. We still hear hear them in the most advanced judicial systems. Let alone in an authoritarian system, in a highly complicated proxy war with all sorts of crimes being it's quite committed sin in, 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 in that sense. Absolutely. I I don't I don't think I don't think justice is the word. And so those of us who believe in divine justice, um I personally do, and I think this is this is where, you know, I think in in, 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 in that sense. And so what is it then that we're working towards, if, if not justice? Or what sort of definition of justice, um, you know, would I adopt to be able to continue working for 12 years on? You know, and I started with this when I was very young. I was 18, 19, when I first started working on the legal work, setting up an NGO and, and, and pushing and pushing uh, um, and so on. And I think that the definition for, you know, of justice for me is more a process, not an outcome. It's the process of letting victims and survivors know that we haven't given up. It's the process of perpetrators knowing that we have not given up either and that we're gonna continue making their lives hell. If I'm unable to push forward a justice agenda, at least I will try my best and hardest to prevent an injustice agenda in, in that sense. So that process, because in a complicated conflict like that, I don't want to control the outcomes. You know, And I'm not me, responsible for the outcomes. Let me, ask, let me outcomes.
0: ask you this. Okay, that, that, that sort of makes sense, but let me ask you this. When you meet a victim, who has seen their family being killed by white phosphorus, by illegal chemical biological weapons used by the regimes, uh, displaced, uh, deemed migrants forever? Probably, what do they ask you to do? What do they ask of you? What do you promise them?
1: I mean, f- first of all, I think dif- pe- different people have different um, th- different kind of expectations, but I think um, I- they have different responses to that. But I think it. You know, says volumes that 12 years on, we had a criminal complaint found on chemical weapons by victims of chemical weapons who were subjected to all sorts of crimes, then chemical weapons, then displaced. I'm talking about the Ghouta, the Damascus area. And still, when they got to France, went to the judicial authorities and gave a complaint that led to France issuing an arrest warrant against Bashar al-Assad. In 2021, this was filed. The victims that as some of the survivors of torture and the families of those who are still in regime cells or believed to be in regime cells, we don't know, assembled in October outside the International Court of Justice on the case that the Netherlands and Canada are taking against Syria before the International Court of uh, Justice, something that I'm humbled to be assisting the Netherlands with, um, assembled outside the court, flew from different parts of the world, holding pictures of their of their loved ones 12 years on. So for them, they see also that the process of, like giving up only... Fulfills the perpetrator, so they know it's not going to bring their children back. They, from the people that I speak to, they know it's not. You know, no one is going to lock someone up and, and, and take them to court. Because again, the 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 point is, if someone kills someone, domestic case, right? You get either a life sentence or a death penalty, depending where you are. If if it's if it's if it's um, kind of an intentional and all the elements are met. But what happens when someone kills a hundred thousand? What is the criminological response? of what sort of punishment can you give? So criminology itself is not advanced enough. Do you kill them a thousand times? Do you torture them? Of course not. Do you kill their family and parents? Of course not. You know, morally, uh, uh, religiously, uh, culturally, legally, you're not allowed to do any of these things. So people know that. People know this. But But this sense of fighting, of creating accountability, creating a consequence, is what seems to be mattering to a lot of people. And it might be a way of coping that I'm still resisting. I'm still fighting. I, you know I'm still trying my best. The fact that when a regime tries to silence you, speaking, confronting the regime at the Security Council, speaking to them at the General Assembly, seeing them on trial, seeing all the diplomats sit on one side, I mean, this, this, this trial thing on the, the ICJ thing was surreal just in a way to look at it, you know? Seeing that for a regime that was trying to push being ignored, even like not going to cop, you know the, the UAE invited yeah, um, yeah. Bashar Assad to go to, and he didn't go for a variety of reasons and you know you'll never know but for the
0: first time we was see, was part of those reasons the fear of being arrested
1: I mean I think it's the it's the or was uh, the, it the, burden. the public face I mean no no it's 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 the burden it, it will trigger a legal process it may may not The UAE might be under pressure I know for a fact governments have agreed not to be in the family photo in the UAE if Bashar al-Assad is there. Businessmen, I, I heard when, I was, and when we were in Doha a few, a few, a few weeks ago, that a, a CEO of a very big international company who was invited to COP said, I will not appear if Bashar al-Assad is there. It's bad for business. So, so when you hear these things, you still feel like going. Going back to the feelings I get after I have a coffee in the morning, there's another thing that keeps me going. It's because perpetrators care. If they did not care about the processes, if they did not cause a fuss about trying to disinform and attack the UN and attack the legal processes and, and try to sabotage, uh, sabotage court processes and, and all of that, maybe I should have a different fight. But they care. They respond. They hire the best lawyers. They try, they try to use whatever. They're using the system. So if they're, not, if they're using the system, why should I not? Or why should I just keep failing at that system? System is broke. System is unfair. System doesn't deliver justice. System is double standards. Fine. But there is a standard. Even if, even if it's double standards are applied. But then at least I can call them out as double standards because I have something to measure with. So it's a tool, a tool to push back. Perpetrators use it. They're very good at it. The question is, why are we not? And that's, what, that's my mission. To try and really have a Syrian voice working for Syria with experts, with people who care and so on, Syria and beyond. Because again, these standards, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, these norms... What we always tell the world is that this was never a message to us. We're the direct victims of that, fine, direct consequence. But when the regime breaches a convention or a treaty, that's not a message to us. That's a message to the international community that I could, like the chemical weapons thing, I could join a chemical weapons convention treaty and then break it in that sense. So that's why the entire conversation about justice matters in, in, in that sense. And that's because perpetrators care, then at least I should. And that's what's personally sometimes driving me.
0: The fact that now um, the regime is being sort of normalized once again from the political perspective, Uh, whilst 10 years ago, for instance, the United States issued very, you know, quite strong statements regarding red lines and and what what have you. Um, And there was condemnation from various corners, some um, seen as quite influential, quite powerful. But 10 years on, I mean, one could argue, one could argue that, well, the regime won because ultimately now, you know, people who spoke angrily about the regime back then have scurried to Damascus to shake hands, to invite, for instance, to appear as though everything is fine once again. How does that, how does that, firstly, as a Syrian, how does that make you feel? Secondly, how does that impact the legal process that you're engaged with?
1: I don't like to define what happens in complex conflict like that as winning and losing because I don't I don't know what winning means. I don't know what losing means in in, in, in that sense. So that for me, I try to avoid that binary thinking because there are way too many factors. Is the regime today the regime that it wasn't before two thousand and eleven in terms of the strength, control of control of the land? Of course not. International relations, of course not. It used to have embassies all over the world. It used to, you know, be a legitimate regime in the eyes of the international community. Europe was establishing bilateral lines, and economic lines. Um, you know, it had, it had. Uh, Syrians were afraid to speak. No one was able to able to express dissent. It controlled 100 percent of the land. None of that is existent today. Iran and Russia are incredibly powerful in, in, in Syria and regime-controlled areas. There are areas that the regime cannot enter, uh, that including are, in theory, under its control. Like the south in, of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, the north of Syria is not under control. The northeast is not under its control physically, militarily, all of that. And so it's hard for me to, to identify what's winning and losing in, 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 in that sense. But in terms of the kind of normalization things, it shows me a couple of things. One, that policies change. If they can change one way, they can change the other way. Right. So the fact that there's 10 years ago that they were they were that and then changed does not mean that they cannot change again. So it means things shift in in, in, in that sense. I think that's a good reminder because everyone views countries and states as one policy, one government, one one current that there's nothing we can do. We we can do things do change. And, you know, changing in the Gulf is still the same people. You know, so the, so the foreign ministers largely are the same. Uh, the heads of state are largely the same. Uh, uh, it's the same policy, you know, that these things don't change there in in, in that sense. Yet you've seen, it's the same people, sorry, but the policy has has been changing, which as an Arab is a hard thing to do, usually, uh, to go back on, 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 your on, on who you are, on your, on your word. So then this takes us to the next point, so what, what, why is this happening? Or what, why are the attempts of this happening? So for us, or for me, I don't see it as they want to get back with their best friend that they couldn't get to because, of the, because America says no. It's not a normalization because we're allies or we're friends or we're besties in, the, in, 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 in that sense. You know? it's, it's more of, I have interests now that I might be able to, to kind of get something out of it. The regime becoming a narco state, exporting Captagon to the entirety of the region is a huge threat in that sense. You know, The Jordanians thought that they could do that with normalization. Just two days ago, they sent warplanes into Syria you know they they can they can see that the whole Iranian influence saying, "Okay, we're going to counter Iranian influence by getting trying to get Damascus back. clearly hasn't worked. But you know what has happened? If you'd asked me this question in June or end of May when the regime was got back to the Arab League, I would have been worried today, I'm not because even the Arab countries see that they have nothing to offer. Fine, you want to experiment, go ahead, you know in 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 that sense. so as a syrian, yes, it's it creates a bit of bitterness, but it is also something that encourages you to push harder, push further in, in, in that sense. How does it impact my work in terms of international justice and, and, and law? Um, I think it does a little bit. But again, none of the funding used to come for human rights from the Gulf areas. None of the kind of resolutions sponsored, except from Qatar. Qatar used to be the one you know, uh, uh, sponsoring resolutions for international justice when it comes to Syria, but others didn't. So that was not missed in, in in that sense. Do the bilateral relations or do the relationships between, for example, say the United Kingdom, US or France, matter more, for example, to a country like the UAE than its relationship with Syria? I mean, is the UAE willing to risk or put so much political weight? To save the regime in comparison to its relationship with the West, I haven't seen that you know come to bear. So unfortunately, it's a reflection on them, on the normalizers, rather than an actual impact. I mean, look the, the I C J case Netherlands and Canada. It started them knowing that normalization things are happening. The arrest warrants coming out from France, you know, is happening. These things happen after normalization. Give me, give
0: me t- tell me w- what is happening.
1: There's a lot, I mean, unfortunately, because of the complex nature of the conflict and the number of actors involved, I don't think we're going to get a Syria court because you have the coalition that's anti-ISIS, that's 53 countries, you have the Russians there Iranians, the Turks, you know, financing, supporting, fighting, you know, everyone kind of committed at least abuses on different scales in, 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 in that sense. So from a political will perspective, I highly doubt we're going to have something similar like to the Rwanda courts or the Yugoslavia courts or something along these lines. So what we have is bits and pieces. Right? Coming together in different ways. Uh, and so, from a, again, but I, I, you know, this might sound a bit counterintuitive as a lawyer, as a barrister, even that I don't see justice as just judicial. I see, again, I see the process, wherever it is. So, fact finding, when you're trying to hide the facts, is a form of accountability, you know, in, in that sense. When you're trying to appear as the legitimate state, and that's taken away from you or challenged, that's a form of accountability. When you're trying to grow an illicit economy and that's being fought economically through economic means, that's a form of accountability, right? So all of that is happening. Um, uh, But from a justice perspective, the the biggest thing at the moment is, uh, or one of some of the biggest things is you have the Netherlands and Canada are taking Syria to the International Court of Justice or have taken Syria to the International Court of Justice. Uh, over breaches of the torture convention, and they have listed everything documented: torture, sexual violence as torture, even chemical weapons as torture, detention, forced disappearance, sorry, everything as as torture. So this is now at the moment a historic case that's that's kind of ongoing. Um, and we had the first order from the court come out in in in, in November, um, kind of acknowledging the evidence and saying Syria, until I look into this, Syria must stop all the torture that's committing and so on. So that's that that's the first point. Um, the the then there are some domestic universal. Jurisdictions Cases, jurisdiction So these are when domestic courts use use their courts to prosecute crimes.
0: Brought by citizens of those exactly. countries uh, exa- who are victims of...
1: Syrians right. usually, yeah. dual, dual, dual yeah. citizens or people who arrived. And, so on. and that again sends you a message that they could have just claimed asylum, started a new life.
0: And khalas, just moved on. You know,
1: so forget, you know, I think Khalas is an international world. And, and we're, <laughs> yeah, everyone uses Khalas <laughs> Everyone knows Khalas inshallah as well. So and that's it, you know. Uh, but they're, they're still fighting. Notwithstanding that they have families in Damascus and intimidation happens. I mean, one of the, an upcoming report uh, uh, will probably show now how intimidation is happening to some of these witnesses. They know that. They're still going. They're still pushing. Uh, so we had a couple of cases in Germany. Now the, the most recent thing is the French case, uh, the French arrest warrants, which included the president, his brother, and two others uh, when it comes to the use By of the way, just weapons. on
0: a technical level, why didn't it take into consideration the immunity of the head of state?
1: It did. And now, that, now that's the battle against the French in their, in their own courts. So in okay. the French system, the judges can issue the arrest warrants, and then it goes to the prosecutor of France to then confirm them. So the prosecutor has come back and says, uh, I don't know, on the immunities question. Okay. So now a battle will emerge, okay. right? Okay. Um, and, and, and people will, will, will push. And, that, and, 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 and the point is here, at least that the judges that look at, at the evidence, the point is that judges looked at the evidence, they looked at the victims, they attributed the evidence. They had enough sufficient thing to go up to the head of state because chemical weapons is not the, the wrong missile projectile that you put on a plane. You know, it's Something deliberate change. where Absolutely. there's a process. That there's needs a process. To happen. You don't do, and even Absolutely. if you do not know in 2013 when the first chemical attacks happened, then you should have at least had processes for f- f- preventing subsequent use. So all of that is in place. Okay, immunity is a technical issue. It's not on substance, right? And I would consider it a big success that already now, if you Google Bashar al-Assad, with nothing else, Put it on Google and put news. All you get is arrest warrant, arrest warrant, arrest warrant, arrest warrant. Even if it fails on a technicality, even if that happens, then what does it say about Bashar al-Assad? He's hiding behind his immunities. Immunities can be waived, by the way. He can go and say- I have I, I, nothing I, I, to hide. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. I will challenge this. I will appoint lawyers. I will present the evidence. None of that. So the field that I'm in is strategic litigation because litigation does not, we cannot get justice to so many numbers and so on. So this strategic litigation involves multiple multiple issues in, in that sense. But keeping Syria at the end of the Security Council, which it is, I think now, twice or three times a month, right? They're meeting on Syria. Having the an international organization, the first of its kind, Africa, there's two international organizations that were created for the first of its kind, historically. One is a semi-prosecutoral UN mechanism that doesn't just document, but also does not wait for a court. It's prosecutors building cases for when there are courts. It's an in-between. This was never created before, in in that sense, called the IIIM. And now there's an Institute for the Missing. So the fact that there are blockages, and the Institute for the Missing was pushed by victims. Honestly, looked honest, the fact that they went to New York and capitals, global south, global north, and they got, I don't know how many, 90 plus votes, it's incredible. It's the mothers, the fathers, and all of that. And so the, the point that I'm making is that as long as there are Syrians and allies who care about these things or continue to push, I honestly have nothing to fear.
0: It's, uh, I mean, the way you, you frame it is, it makes it, um, it makes it clear that this is a worthy, a worthy effort. Um, I recall a number of years ago, there was something that caught the, the, the headlines called the Caesar law. Um, And that was seen as quite a blow to the regime and quite a win for the victims. Tell me a little bit about that, about the technicalities particularly. I mean, what kind of implications does, for instance, this, the Caesar law have on uh, the victims uh, for Syria?
1: just as for context so caesar is 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 a guy who used to be a military photographer within the regime and he defected after filming all these horrific photos of what's going on in in, in torture uh, in torture chambers and you know all these vid- films and people with with, with skeletons who, who look skeletons are he's the one who i think released fifty five thousand photos and uh, families at that time were looking through the photos and recognized a lot of them and then now um uh, a key advocacy group called the Caesar Family Association. So people who've identified their loved ones in the Caesar photos are now now formed the organ formed a, a group that actually pushed for this creation of the mechanism of the thing so just to show you how things progress you know in 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 that sense um, so so caesar was a was a big change in the syrian context because it's it's a defector the the photographs were authenticated they were used in different court processes they were put before congress put before parliament and so on um, but then the the, the 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 issue was always what what is next and what and what can happen and so on and the issue of caesar kind of went back a little bit because other crimes came to the forefront and uh, and, and so on um, there's a very strong Syrian American lobby group in uh, in the U.S. and they uh, they push for all sorts of accountability policies and so on. And so um, during the Trump era, even a little bit before, they started working on okay, w- w- what is the U.S. willing to do? You know, and what can be done, and obviously it's military power, but it's also economic power, uh, and so they pushed for sanctions through something called the Caesar Law that makes it very hard, and and they pushed through Congress. That's the difference. It's not an executive order. Without going into the details, which makes it hard from one president to the other to change it. And that's, it's, it's, a, it's a bipartisan bill that passed God knows how many readings in, 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 in both you know the House and the Senate and, 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 and so on through, through Congress. So Caesar, what it does, one of the things it does, it's, it creates secondary sanctions, which means if you do not do anything but interact with a sanctioned person, i.e. the regime, who has done the horrible things, you, risk, you open yourself to potential liability, right? So that's one of the things it does. Um, and so that created fear for normalization. And that's why you hear the regime talking about Caesar, you hear the, some of the Gulf states talking about Caesar and so on. But that's not something that Biden can remove, you know, in, 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 in that sense. So it created that, 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 that effect. But that sanctions is never just a, it shouldn't be a policy. It's a policy tool. But at the time where there is no policy, yeah, it, it's we need to use it's whatever. It's the only thing you have. It's the only thing we have. But on its own, it's not enough, and it can actually cause effects that you know are on. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we don't want ordinary Syrians to suffer or, or you know or, or be impacted by sanctions and so on, which the regime is using as human shields when it, when, it, when it comes to these to these issues. So uh, it's it's a very tricky debate. But Caesar was one of the the, the successes in, in in kind of a point in pushing this matter uh, uh, th- this matter forward. Uh, because what it also did is that for regime supporters, like, okay, what is the Caesar law? And just the name, it was actually funny. Uh, I mean, funny is the wrong word, but, but they were one of the kind of regime propagandists who clearly seems to be affected by brainwashing as well. Like they they don't watch other news and they're like, yeah, this, you know, we were affected by the Caesar law. So I went to the Google who Caesar was and oh my God, you know, and and, and he was actually surprised that there are these photos coming from regime cells. And he started saying, you know, may God have mercy on them and so So the name Caesar itself triggered people who are pro-regime, who are affected by the Syria sanctions uh, and their allies to look up who Caesar was. In, in that. And, he, and for us, he's a hero, absolutely.
0: Okay, when at the very start, uh, you made a very sort of strong interjection that the, Syria didn't start in 2011. The Syrian uh, tragedy has been long ongoing, and I don't know whether you wish to trace it all the way back to the late 60s with the arrival of Hafez al-Assad, 1980-81, with the Hama massacre, um, thereafter, I mean, where, where, how far back do you go?
1: I mean, it's obviously very hard to to kind of know when 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 injustices start because obviously Syria was also a colony and you know and, and there there was a lot of of of, of things there and and, and so on. Um, but before I, before I answer this question, one of the things that really gets to me—I mean, I—I I became hardened to a lot of things over the last twelve years. One thing that I'm not hardened uh, or haven't become hardened to is having one of these conversations, this very basic shadow conversation. And they're like, oh, so where are you from? And I say, Syria's like, oh, used to be a beautiful country, right? And that word really gets to me because it means, yes, for tourism, they would go and see the beauty of, of the country, absolutely. But they would imply that people who rose up for basic rights, first of all, they wouldn't see what used to happen at the dungeons below their touristic areas and the people who could not return and the forced experience. And, and Syria was a democracy and he was elected. And and, and so although the constitution, as you know, was, was changed in order to make the sun the present and so on um, and that puts me in a situation where i actually don't know how to still 12 years on how to respond you
0: have to dispute that it was it's a beautiful it was a beautiful country on,
1: on the outside it is beautiful absolutely but that's but, the, but then the, why would people up cause an uprising you know, is it
0: because they don't want their countries to be, to be beautiful?
1: beautiful exactly you know what yeah. i mean so 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 it's, it's one of still one of the most difficult things to know you know Do you dispute that your country was beautiful from the outside, but not from the inside? And anyway, so, I mean, you... you, you I would trace it back at least to the to the recent more authoritarian, so the arrival of of assad and then um, the way he kind of consolidated power, um, and then obviously passed on power to 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 his son. And as you know, when his son came, a lot of people was like, "Oh, British educated, you know this." There 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 is a, a doctor, you know, this. Like absolutely, and you're married to, to to a British lady and and, and or a Syrian British lady, and uh, you know whose father is also a doctor and 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 and, and all of all of that. Um, you people expected some sort of change you know and, and, and nothing came nothing came in the in the early 2000s and and so on and that's why you know people took it to the streets and and, and so on um and, and but again it's it's a constant battle i, I think the battle between you know uh, evil and good i i can't put a date on it yeah, you know it's, and, and it's it's an a, it's, a, it's, a, thing. it's an, always been an ongoing thing and i don't and that's why i said i don't know what winning and losing is and or i don't know what winning i, I don't want to know what I think I'm losing is I don't want to know what justice, how justice is defined. I'd like to have this very, very subjective definition that fits me to continue fighting and fits others to rally together. But beyond that, I'm not interested in any textbook definitions mm-hmm. of, of, of anything because it will make me tire. It will make me stop. It will, it will make people feel, OK, what's the point? 20, it's been going on for 30 years, 40 years. What's what's the point? And injustices usually last because people give up. These are the only ones that people kind of uh, the the perpetrators are the only one that benefit from us not having a coping mechanism of definitions I know it might might sound like a crazy person to you in the audience but that's honestly how how, well, how I have
0: going. to say that I identify with a lot of what you're saying I mean I myself come from Iraq and um, those awkward conversations that I have on all sides by the way not just by foreigners uh, talking about uh, oh, the cradle and... of civilizations and the such but but also, yeah, I mean, more recently about people praising and saying, "Well, you know, you had it so good during the days of Saddam. You're so brave." <laughs> so, and then you're stuck. I mean, what do you say? What, what? What? Where do you go? But the the fact of the matter is that you realize that people are comparing the here and now, and um, and th- and and that is that is part of the problem. Not only you know, this is not a, a small scale thing. It's a global thing. And that is our our memory in regards with history is extremely short term.
1: Absolutely. The the, the history point is is the key point. People don't often read history or, or, or read history from one perspective. And then that often sometimes, w- because, you know, no one wants to re- write about their failures. So when you read about the golden eras of the Arab world or the Ottoman Empire or the Isla- Islamic civilization, people fought all the time. All the time, there were scandals and fighting. so there were successes on some points and failures just as many other. And so reading about uh, presenting anything as a golden era, yes, okay, fine. In some perspective, yes. But presenting it in a way that then makes us feel like we're absolutely failing or absolutely... You know, statistically, it it actually feels bad to say this because humans are not statistics, but statistically, there are less people dying now, even in wars when we hear about the Mogols or, or, or baghdad like you give an example on how how does a river turn blue or red or how many people must you put in that river you know in order for it to change color but because of the amount of death or, or the amount of ink of, you, you know what i mean like so millions have been killed but we just know about it more now so does that mean we're failing or knowing i i, I don't know and honestly don't care as long as i'm pushing and as long as I have a support system around me that holds me in check, because you can easily then think you're doing good and you're actually doing harm, and that I think is the worst thing in at least my line of work that you could you could be doing. Um, so you need to hold yourself in check and, and questions your intentions as to why why you're doing. Because again, you know the, the side that we didn't talk about is you know when I go to the law events and they're like, oh, you made an amazing career. You know you're thirty. How do you do this with governments and this? And um, I usually make it very awkward for them, unfortunately. But uh, but it's it's quite funny. And I say, uh, you know, I just wished because uh, I know they mean it nicely. But I just I, I say I wish I didn't have a war in my country or something like. that. And then they panic because they didn't mean it that way. But but obviously you need to hold yourself in check because um, you can. There's a lot of people that make only career progressions out of, because I'm a professional. You know, I have a, like a term. The car- word career applies to what I'm doing. But if you're only having that. And that's what you're pushing pushing you through. That's also something that you need to be kind of hold in check. In in, in that's all the financial gains or whatever whatever it is. So as long as I have my, the the system around me, the, the support system, that kind of holds you in check, then you should continue the fight. Yeah. And that, that's what no, matters. that's
0: that's a, that's an excellent point, and um, this brings me to something which I have to say it pains me a little, and that is that. Uh, regardless or despite the uh, horrific nature of, uh, of Syria over the course of the past 12, 12 years. It's now become sort of a a side issue, a secondary issue. It's something that people just mention in passing rather than even those that were absolutely with the revolution, with democratic change, with freedom for the Syrian people. It's now sort of, it's taken a, a, ba- a back row, if you wish, and particularly now that we are in the midst of the, the Gaza ma- massacre, and, and that must be extremely fra- I mean, I have to say, again, I mean, bring it back to Iraq. I mean, 20 years ago, all that the world talked about was Iraq. Whether it be the opposition to the war, whether it be the illegality or otherwise of of the Bush Blair venture in Iraq, whether it be the occupation, whether it be the fallout, sectarian politics, and uh, the kind of mass killings and the such, um, you know, maybe exceeding the million and a half mark, no one knows, but then. We went. We all went back to what we were doing, and now when you mention Iraq, people—it's as though they—it's something we talk, We did, Khalas, Let's just put it in the back, you know, back burner. It's—it's it's something we we spent time. We demonstrated on. We protested. We sent letters to our MPs. Uh, but now we're moving on. It's as though we are constantly trying to catch up with tragedies, with horrific stories, and Syria is is one of those. I mean. I, you know, I'm following the news, and whilst absolutely the genocide that is taking place is a place in in Gaza, but at the same time, I hear about this massive strike on Idlib by the regime that claims the lives of, you know, hundreds of civilians in one strike. But there's, you know, there's no one's talking about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's human nature, right? It's something that I that I kind of even studied at Oxford last year, two years ago. Is that people can't relate to mass things. People cannot relate to parallel things. They need one child, one human, that they can identify with. People need to identify to things that they can see and people, or feel, and people want to be able to feel like they do something. So if we think about you know Yemen, Syria, Iraq, uh, uh, you know, Libya, uh, Libya uh, Myanmar, uh, you know, there's so much going on in the, in, in, in the world, so much injustice going on, sometimes more, bigger scale, sometimes lesser scale, sometimes but more democratic, democratic countries and, and others are, are kind of more authoritarian. And, and so I, I think it's, it's also a way of people being able to survive. You know, I, so I, I don't blame people with having the fatigue. I honestly don't. I used to. I used to be very angry. I was like, why don't you care? What used to I used to live in this parallel world, as you know, I, I used to go down to Syria during the conflict very actively. And then four hours later, I'm back in London and then I'm you know, sitting in whichever cafe and it's like, why don't these people care about what I just saw four hours ago? You know what I mean? In, 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 in that sense. Um, but I realized two things. One, it's our responsibility to keep the headlines, right? It, it's, it's, it's the responsibility of those who carry the cause.
0: To, to, to keep you can't fighting. expect victims to continue to push the headlines.
1: I mean, it's 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 hard, um, but but it's 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 the, it's it's the Syrians, it's the people who, who work on on those issues to keep to, to keep fighting. Uh, I don't expect you know the the editor of the BBC to wake up in the morning and say ah oh, I care about Syria today. Well, if they do, that's great. But if they don't. You know it's it's a matter that to 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 be able to, to uh, for us to push um and, and the other thing is that I don't blame people right so so, so these the, the, these are are the kind of two things. but again, living in my kind of world of of of, of what what winning and losing means I, f- I honestly felt at some point that Russia, which backed the Assad regime, um, felt so empowered that all the attention was on Syria because it could block things. Now that it's off the radar, it's not getting economic gains. it's not moving anywhere they're struggling, you know, so is the regime. Like it's, it's they're, they're, limelight sometimes gives you more leverage in that sense. So is, is no limelight something that's necessarily bad as long as they're actors who are working? Sometimes, yes, with policymakers, it's hard to push certain things when you're, when you're unable to. But the regime is very good at bringing attention back to Syria, you know? Um, things calm down, boom, chemical weapons. Things calm down. Boom, refugee crisis. Things calm down. Captagon. I mean, this this podcast that that will I um, one of the podcasts I listens to. Um, the, the rest is politics. They uh, they mentioned Captagon in Syria. For a UK audience, I was like, "Wow, congratulations! You know, Bashar, you made you made it to the headlines again." Like, be, because because that's when you try to ignore a conflict like this, it it spills over. But you have to think
0: to yourself: I mean, is it pure stupidity or is it something deliberate? Maybe it,
1: it's survival. You need, they needed they in- they needed the cash, they needed the income. the, the, the drug thing? I mean, no. So-
0: but 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 these, for instance, like you said, I mean, every time Syria is, disappears from the headlines, they manage somehow to haul the news back to what's happening in Syria through committing a crime or bombing something or. I mean,
1: It's a a mix of things. I mean, chemical weapons, I think were, were, I mean, because people, you know, when there was a big chemical weapons conference that we were at in November and people were like, you know, chemical weapons were banned, okay, because they're bad, but they're also not very effective. Like, you know, uh, for the kind of wars that were fought in Europe, yes. But when you're trying to get people to surrender, Chemical weapons and a lack of reaction from the international community to the use of chemical weapons are very effective because the people are like, if they're not going to respond to chemical weapons, I may just leave. Yeah. Why should I hold on to, my, to, 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 to the to where to where I am, particularly because you can't hide in the bunkers if they are if there were any because they 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 go down, and you go up you get barrel bombs so so you know what I mean so sometimes it was an, an, a military need sometimes it was a political need, um uh you know it, it, sometimes it's it's an economic need like now the the issue with drugs and sometimes you're out of control like you can't you can't control so many different th- different things so I don't I wouldn't. Do it as stupidity, but it's it's just a matter of of, of it's it's a hard narrative to control. Um, but these things always come back. I mean, Iraq came Iraq Iraq came back when, when the whole Syria strike came back, right? You know, uh, and so so the, these things never never go away uh, in, in, in in that sense. Um, but as long as that fact that something is not in the limelight does not make the actors that are pushing for it or the actors that care for it give up, um, you know, news the Russia the
0: Russia part is interesting i mean obviously uh, you know since russia became part of the the bad books of uh of, of the world um two years ago surely syria must have you know once again you know found some breathing space and i talk of syria about the, the you know the revolution the 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 freedom fighters and the such surely i mean they must have found some new spaces that weren't there before
1: i mean it's 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 funny because a lot of syrians would have said you know would usually uh uh, uh you know said that something global needs to happen in order for something to move in Syria. Ukraine happened, right? It doesn't get more global than than that at the moment. So a couple of things happened. But again, this shows you that, you know, Syria is now a very proxy war and the allies that, you know, the opposition have are also not necessarily your allies when it comes to Ukraine and Russia, right? So you're not mentioning names, but you have countries that are not necessarily against Russia in Ukraine, right? Or don't want to link the files because this idea, as, as you know very well, you know, the foreign offices are usually structured geographically, not thematically, right? So it's not have, you know, the, the, the war uh, department, you have the Syria department, down the, down the hole, you have the Ukraine department, and down the hole, you have the Russia department. And linking them makes things very, very complex. So why? Because I have to agree, like such was the case in, with Russia, I have to agree a resolution, the Security Council with Russia, the US has to do that, when it comes to Syria it's not gonna agree with that on Ukraine. And so they're, they're not necessarily wanting to link, link both. But it did open up a space. And, and one interesting space was the narrative. President Zelensky kept always reminding the world that Russia felt emboldened by what happened uh, by the impunity it had in Syria. Uh, I led a Syrian delegation uh, in, in August. Uh, to Ukraine to show solidarity and, and to link and, and that was an opening for example and they were they hosted us with official protocol police cars and vans because they wanted to also annoy the Russians to like these are the Syrians we recognize in that in by the way although like Syria officially is an unfriendly country to Ukraine which means you don't even get visas like it was a horrific situation to identify what kind of Syrian are you and it was actually quite sad that a lot of the Ukrainians we met we had to explain to them which Syrians we are because it's like you know a, a, a North Korean country Coming or, or an Iranian coming to, to different parts of, of of Syria, you immediately think they're on the opposing side until, until you figure out who, who, who they are. But that kind of provided an opportunity to show the world that what Russia did in, 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 in Syria and opened up political. So a lot of countries that were afraid of accountability on Syria because of what Russia might react are no longer afraid now, for example. right, uh, A lot of fears about, oh, but Assad, head of state, they're going after Putin. You know what I mean? So now it allows us to say, "Well, much smaller fish buddy, you know? <laughs> like like if you have managed to do that against Putin, you should be able to do to do that against other perpetrators in in that. And so it opened up that space. Um, not every country wanted to link because, Admitting def- admitting defeat in Syria is hard for for Western countries in, in 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 that sense or for administration. So that was a bit hard. But the UK, for example, was very hard to a li- very um happy to link, and and they made and you know I appeared in a Foreign Office video saying you know we um, feel for what the Ukrainians are going through because of what we've seen in Syria and, and we've sense full sense of solidarity. And these were heartfelt words. You know what Russia is doing in in um in Ukraine illegally, the aggression thing. It did in Syria legally. It, it prompted up a regime that starts like self determination in. Uh, in in that sense
0: let let me uh, tell you about something that is extremely difficult which uh, i myself my organization my supporters um have to deal with and it's extremely difficult and i'm pretty sure you know what i'm going to talk about
1: i'm worried about i have no idea without knowing you if you're having difficulties (laughs) well
0: (laughs) the thing is that uh, right now obviously we are in the throes of one of the greatest popular uh, movements around the world uh, in support of Gaza and in condemnation of Israeli uh, crimes against the people, the civilians of Gaza. Um, And it promises to be, you know, one of the, the biggest manifestations of global opposition and probably leading to radical change on various levels. Political is one of them, but also on many, many, many other levels. But the thing is that I realize that many of those whom with I am marching and I am chanting and we agree are people who find uh, that Bashar al-Assad is the legitimate and rightful and just and worthy leader and president of Syria. And they see the revolution, which uh, I unconditionally, unequivocally support, as being an american uh, 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 empirical sort of uh, project to destabilize Syria and to scupper the riches and the uh, the incredible you know potentials of of Syria where do you go what do you do
1: it's um very disheartening honestly and um and it's, it's, it's very hard that, you know, we often accuse countries of double standards, but when you look at such individuals, they're applying the same double standard. They're, they're not happy to call out a war crime or a crime against humanity in one side because they're potentially their allies, but they're happy to do it rightly when it's the other side or, or, or the enemy in, 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 in that sense. So I think sometimes we have to do look inwards um, and I'd remind them all to look inwards and, up, uh, and up, they apply the single standard uh, when they're calling out others on, on, uh, on, on double standards. Um, as you know, I, I'm involved a lot in policy and to make the, the conversation harder, um, some of your allies, country allies on Syria who are standing up against the regime are not the ones doing so when it comes to the same crimes that you're dealing with in Gaza, in, in that sense. And I have to interact with the, with those governments. And they're good people. And they're the, they're the right policies on Syria. The not so wrong, uh, right ones on, 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 on Gaza.
0: What do you do? Compartmentalize? What do you do? Isolate? What do you do? Just... I always
1: think about how do governments do it? When two countries' presidents meet, they have trouble on the economy, fights on fish, war, turfs. They have alignment on immigration, they defer on this, they do, but they still manage to con- do the compartments in order to move things forward. And I think there's no right and wrong approach with the, with, with, with these things. Um, there are people who should be loud against everything and standing up against everything and so on, but there should be people who should really bite the bullet for a lack of better, better metaphor in this context and be happy to engage on some issues quietly, on others publicly, and... Deal with the issues uh, where they can add the most value in the most effective way. But you do way.
0: realize that, for instance, me standing next to someone on Palestine so beautifully, but they are more than happy to come out and defend the regime um, and to accuse the victims in Syria of feigning injury because of, you know, alleged, as they call it, barrel bombs or white phosphorus or whatever illegal weapons how will that impact a victim who's watching
1: my question is that how would that impact the cause they're advocating for because their credibility i mean it's the same people that doubted amnesty and human rights watch in the u.n on syria are the ones sharing amnesty and human rights watch on u.n reports on uh, on on palestine in 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 this um do i would i personally pick them up as an ally no in 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 that sense fine if they they everyone chooses the causes they support and the causes that, that 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 they oppose but if i would be in a different forum i'd definitely grill them on whatever they're not standing as i'm sure you would and and when it when it when it comes to 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 Syria i think picking battles is hard uh, i think prioritizing is hard and i think this is this is now this is kind of a hallmark of our era there's so many causes you know previously i would assume you're from that geographical area or your father was from that geographical and you're just focused on that area this is this is this is what you know this is where you have information but because now we know so much and there's so much disinformation as well. We feel like we have to respond to all causes in the same way and, and, and so on. I think we need to appreciate... Well, I wouldn't... Plat- so if I control the platform, I wouldn't platform such people. I wouldn't choose them as my allies. If they happen to be there, they happen to be there. Uh, I wouldn't co- you know, necessarily co-sign and you know, do, do, all, do all of things uh, with them. I've, honestly, I, I differentiate them between those who are quiet on Syria. in the same way that I would excuse some of the people who are quiet on the issue of Palestine, because they know that not all wars and justices are fought publicly in, in, in that sense. And that's where we have to be kind of selective in how we do things and which leverage do I lose in order to, to gain what? Because I feel sometimes being public is, is about you relieving, depending on who you are, obviously, but but it's sometimes about relieving our conscience. It's about me feeling that I've expressed something, which is fine, but that's where we need to kind of be be, be, be careful on those issues. Um. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily platform them or work closely with them, and so. On, I mean, you, and-
0: you remind me of uh, a conversation I had recently. I'm, I'm also um, a promoter of uh, the rights of the Uyghurs in in China, and again, um, to my horror, um, I, I was one of the earlier people to uh, to come in with, in in contact with the Uyghurs, and um, when I heard about, uh, it was the first time I heard about this. is around 2010. And a lot of people didn't even know that there was the case of East Turkestan and and the like. And then to my horror, I find out that there is a sizable um, community, Muslim, as well as human rights fighting and pioneering the such, who think of the Uyghur cause as an American plot to undermine the Chinese regime. And therefore they've plotted these people and these people have no case whatsoever. And therefore, you know, it's similar to to what I, you know, to to the Syrian case. But then you find, to your horror, that your friends, the Uyghurs, are in touch with the Israelis. You know, because the Israelis have spoken publicly about the horrors committed by the Chinese regime against the Uyghurs. And all of a sudden, you are in this incredibly tangled web where you have to navigate. And the thing is you know, okay, so I tell the Uyghurs, listen, this is not good for you. This doesn't work. This is against, you know, your very standing and your very principles as people of a just cause. But then they tell you, listen, what is that we can do? We need access. We need to get to the UN. We need to get to places of power in Washington and Paris and the like. And this is something we have to do. And you just stay quiet. What do you do? I think
1: you know, and, and it's look at you know, for example, in the early days about how Zelensky, for example, came came out in in more support of Israel's policies than the, the Israelis themselves, to be honest. Like the, the 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 you know, President Zelensky, and now he toned it down. I think his advisor spoke to him, and you know, and said, okay, now he's talking about you know, calm in the Middle East and so on. But Ukraine is one of my biggest allies on Syria. I just met the guy a few a, f- a few weeks before.
0: Yeah, shame on you.
1: You, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, but, but 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 no, but 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 the po- that that's the point. I think we need to really as countries see it in the same way, look at interests, right? It's intersection of interest. And it's, it's not interest in a, in a bad sense of the word. Yes, you and I are allies on this cause, just right cause. You, are, you and I are enemies on a different thing. And we don't agree, I don't see eye to eye, I wouldn't invite you to dinner, you know, if, that, if that's the metric. And that should be okay. And it's, it's, it's hard because it's not for me the person, you know? A person is my wife. I don't look at policies and intersection of interests with my wife. She's she's a person that I would like to be with because she's the person. My kids, my friends. People I interact with for causes that they care about and that I care about, it's, I think should be absolutely fine to have intersecting interests, but not on everything. And that doesn't mean I have to attack them on everything, nor, nor do they have to attack me on, on, on everything. But that doesn't mean I have to like them or they like me. It's not, it's not about liking the person. We love to idealise people. We, do, we love to think of countries as one voice, one position and so on. But they're, as you know, they're not. And, and so it's about moving things.
0: Um, and that's very hard. You remind me of when I was much younger. And I was coming to learn. Don't make yourself too old. About <laughs> I believe you me. I wish. Um, uh, and I was coming to learn, you know, about politics. About, and I remember being given one of my most valuable lessons, which now I impart on you know younger people who are now entering the world of politics. It was a discussion that I had with, uh, as a junior researcher, with someone from the State Department in Washington. And I asked them particularly about their relationship with Iran. And at the time, what he said was enlightening. He said, listen, between us and Iran, there are 22 issues, 22 issues specifically. On 15, we absolutely disagree to the point of almost going to war. And then there are seven other cases on which we agree. In some cases where we absolutely collaborate, where we absolutely work together, where we absolutely coordinate and such. And in those words, I was given a lesson as to how not only global politics works, but how human interaction happens and how we can work for causes with people, the same people with whom we absolutely disagree on other causes. It takes a level of, I would suggest, a level of uh, political maturity that to be honest is a very very scarce uh currency these days uh, because uh, you know people work on the basis of love hate you know that
1: it's it's maturity but also i think it requires you to be constantly uncomfortable with yourself uncomfortable uncomfortable because you're constantly because it's it's not, i don't think it's human nature i think i think what you're describing is absolutely correct i don't think it's human nature i think it's 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 not a comfortable feeling to meet someone on something and then oppose them and be on the opposite side with the same person because we 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 you know we're humans we we like relationships I, I'd like to like the person and, and so on. so I think it's much harder emotionally harder from a characteristic perspective harder to ask what you do uh, to, to do what you're what 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 you're asking people to do, and it's a slippery slope because then that transactional way of of dealing and interest and so on can then become extreme, where you no longer know your friend are, your friends are and your enemies are and, and, and so on. People will, because there are characteristics like loyalty that gets questioned. Characteristics like truth, like turning your back, like changing things, like hypocrisy. All of these are put on the line if you don't know how to manage them carefully. And people will have both perceptions of you. Some people will see you as an incredible pragmatist who's able to push a cause. Others will see you as a person with double standards some will see you as you know a uh, a a a person who is disloyal uh so, so, and others i don't know will will see you as someone who uh is vague and you don't know what their positions are and you know you know if you're it, 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 it's not a uh uh you know from from a scientific perspective a a situation of 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 calm or 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 balance or i don't know what what the, i forgot what the what that topic zone. you're not you know? in your comfort zone you're not zone. in your you're... comfort zone and what it's not it's not fair to ask a lot of people to do this. But if you want to have the impact on politics, that's what you have to do. That is what you have to do. And you get and the worst thing, Dr. is that you start getting attacked by your own allies, by your own friends. Why don't you have a position on this? Why don't you why do you have a position on this or not? Why are you louder on this and not on that? You know what I mean? And they're right publicly. But it's 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 very hard. It is it is very hard, but it's impactful.
0: Allah